You're listening to Weekend Recap with Pastor Kent Nottingham. To hear the full message and many more, visit calvarytlh.com slash teachings. We're in chapters 3 and 4 of James, and the title is The Wisdom God Would Have Us Walk In. We left off with the greatest enemy on earth for the church, and that is the tongue. The tongue has split churches, has splintered churches, has spiraled churches down. The tongue has not only crushed the corporate body of Christ, but it has actually destroyed the bride of Christ. What the tongue can do to an individual is a fire from hell, as James says. But here's the question that's being asked right now, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's the question. Show it in wisdom. So James moves from showing it in words, the tongue, which is a destroying mechanism in our mouth, to now show it with our wise conduct. I mean, even the heathen can show wisdom in the area of the tongue, especially when it's within his own interests. A person who has a foul mouth and cusses a lot, but he has a boss that says, you'll be fired if you do it here. You know what? He's going to keep that under control. Wisdom to control their words. That would be wise behavior. And even for at church for an hour and a half, you know, a person can walk into church and not have a flurry of foul language at all because they want to be on their best behavior because it's in their best interest. They want people to like them. So with the knowledge I'm in church or I'm at work, then wise behavior will kick in and there will be a controlling of the tongue. And that's what's important because James is showing us hope for the tongue as he moves us into wise conduct. So if you are wise, let's see it in your conduct. And I'm sure you know as well as I know people who are really brilliant and smart but have no common sense. Yet there is no wisdom in their meekness or their humility. You know, that may be as an example, like, dude, can you watch your language? My kids are standing here. Or who told you you could talk that way in front of a woman? You see, if you are wise, then we're going to see it in your conduct. Is there a person's pride and arrogance has actually dropped at that particular time? Wise conduct will have meekness and humility written all over it. And uh, now we go up to the next question, verse 14, where it says this, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, Do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. So the next question, the next comment is this, is the conduct of bitter envy actually will negate wisdom. And James mentions other things that will negate wisdom, but the very thing that's going to happen here, it is going to be bitter envy. Do we want something that is out of the motivation of envy? Do we make decisions in our lives out of the motivation of envy? I see something someone else has, and now I want that. Just 24 hours earlier, <laughs> you know, I was just fine. I didn't, didn't know what it was I wanted. But now that I see it, they have it, and they like it. I want it, and I want to get that. So I'll make a decision. I'm going to go get that, and it's out of envy. So understand, God will not direct us on the basis of envy. A person could be bitter about their situation in church and things are not happening the way they want it to, but they see another church, all that stuff is happening over there, and they fight with the church to get that going, but the church is not going to do it. So out of envy, they want to do that, so they go over there. But God does not direct like that. That's not from that's from the world. That's from the sensual. That's from the flesh. And even it could be, as James says, actually demonic in some respects. Is this, you know, if this is the basis of our decision making, bitter envy, self seeking. Actually, the results can be disastrous, especially 
into the body of Christ because we hurt the cause of Christ. We hurt the focus of Christ. We take our attentions off of Jesus, 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 and put it on bitter envy and self-seeking. Verse 16 goes on to say, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The third point is this. Wisdom from above is to eliminate confusion. When envy is attached and self-seeking is attached, it's confusing. I mean, think, why does that Christian tell dirty jokes and that Christian over there doesn't tell dirty jokes? Why does that Christian cuss, but that one doesn't? Why does that Christian go to church, but that one says you don't have to go to church? Why does that Christian say if you don't keep the Sabbath, you'll go to hell? And that Christian works on the Sabbath. Confusion. When envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing rears its head. Yet wisdom from above, from heaven, will have these characteristics. And it's in verse 17. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy in that respect. Now, notice he says it's pure, it's consistent, it's peaceable. That's in contrast to confusion. The Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. But also note this, it says, willing to yield. And I think of James here, our writer of this book, and Paul the Apostle. They could have split the church on issues that they both felt strong about. They both could have not, not been willing to yield. You know, it could have been over the fact that I'm entitled to this or I have the right to this, but neither one of them did that. They were willing to yield. James did that in Acts 15 where the council of the Gentiles was coming up. Should a Gentile become Jewish to be a Christian? And James leaned towards that. He leaned towards the law, but James yielded. And when James asked Paul to show his Jewishness in paying the Nazarite vow for these guys, well, Paul did it. They both showed meekness. They both had strength under control. They were willing to yield. It was wise conduct. And they did it all for the sake of confusion. And because of that, the cause and the focus of Christ stayed on the forefront. One of the characteristics of this wisdom from above is not looking for a fight. There's always some people you just can't live, you know, at peace with. But Paul tells us, but as far as you're concerned, live at peace with all men. Don't demand your rights. Don't demand your entitlements in the church. Be humble. Be peaceable. Be meek. Be gentle. Be full of mercy. Be willing to yield, as James says there in verse 17, because that is wisdom from above. That is practical, godly Christianity. And if you take those eight things in verse 17 and apply them to your walk with God, you are living under the banner of heaven's wisdom in your decision-making and with your fellow man. Listen, that kind of conduct, your tongue will follow. Your talk will line up with your walk. That's the hope of the tongue. It's going to be in wise conduct because now you're living in harmony with others. You're promoting unity in the body of Christ. And all that we are promoting Jesus Christ to a lost world, that makes him effective. Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? Among you. So obviously when James says among you, he's talking to the church. He's talking to members of the church. He's talking to husbands and wives that are in the church. And he's inviting his readers back, basically to cast their minds back on some recent conflict he had. He invites his readers to go back in time and think about it. What happened? Why did it take place? If there's a conflict that seems to keep reoccurring, why does it do so? What's going on? 
So what is the cause of fights and war? Well, we say it's them. The other people, they're the problem. They cause fights and war because they're unreasonable. They're demanding. They're not thoughtful. They're not considerate. So, you know, that, that, that's the problem. So the answer is obvious. Other people are the blame for our conflicts. But wisdom from above does not look to pick a fight. You know, we can come in here at church and sit close to each other, but, you know, we're going, why is he sitting so close to me? Why don't they move over? I mean, we also want to pick a fight. Why are they using that armrest? It's my armrest. They can use the other armrest. And it's almost like we're just at, we're at, we're at, we're distressed with all this. You know, I was here first, you know. I have the right to this armrest. It's mine. They can use the armrest on the other side. I mean, we have this thing called selfishness, and it rears its head when we think something is unfair, when we think something is right. So we have these wars. We have these fights that come from our desire for pleasure. And that pleasure is, I want that armrest. That pleasure is, I don't want you sitting right next to me like that. Those are the pleasures. So you see, when things are wrong, it's because of others. When things don't go my way, it's others' fault. It's not fair. I'm not the problem. They are the problem. Republicans say it's the Democrats' fault. The Democrats say it's the Republicans' fault. The players say it's the owners' fault. The owners say it's the players' fault. Arabs say it's the Jews' fault. The Jews say it's the Arabs' fault. Husband says it's the wife's fault, and the wife says it's the husband's fault. Be peaceable, willing to yield. Listen, this is the way it's been since the fall of man. James says it is your fault from what is in you now. So you can't blame it on your environment because you grew up in a bad neighborhood and he had nothing. Well, you can't, you grew up in a wealthy neighborhood and you had everything. And sure, granted, our environment can produce and magnify for us what we already desire. But bottom line is, why? Because God says so in his word. Adam and Eve lived in the perfect environment, yet Adam blamed God for that woman that he gave me. And Eve blamed the serpent. So even in a perfect environment, you know, it, you're still going to have the, the fall. You're still going to have the blame going on. But actually, they were at fault with it. Totally, completely at fault fault. First, listen, first I need to give you a shot. Listen, I got, I got something I want to share with you real quick. Look at verse number two. It says this, uh, you lust and you do not have, you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. James is making a diagnosis here. The fact is, if you have an infection, you go to the doctor, the doctor says, listen, here's what you're going to have to do. I'm going to, have to give you a shot. I'm going to give you a prescription. You got to take the prescription until it's all gone, and you got to change the bandages every day. We're going to go, great. Thanks, doc. I appreciate it. But when the Bible says this is your problem, this is the infection, we don't want to hear it. We want to argue with it. We want to point to someone else or something else instead of getting the remedy, which is from God. We have no remedy because we do not ask of God. That's what James is telling us. What we have inside of us can't be negotiated by us. You can eat to the place that you're full, and you, can take, you can't take another bite. But the very fact is, man, you can loosen your belt, and you can sit there and say, I am full, I can't take another bite. But then somebody offers dessert, and all of a sudden, you've got room for that dessert. So we do that with food. We do that with money. We do that with pleasures. We are never satisfied. We cannot negotiate this that is on the inside. It's a void only God can deal with. You can't obtain. We fight and war. 
It continues all because we ask not of God. Listen, prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run things in their own strength or, or for their own sake or under their own authority. So instead of praying for our desires, we indulge in them. We ourselves decide what is good and we seek to gain it through our own efforts. Listen, James said earlier, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So instead of wrangling with other Christians, why don't we just ask of God? Wrestle with God over these things. Lord, I really feel like I need this. Please speak to me. Lord, whatever I do, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, I don't like the way I act. I don't like how I blame them. I can't, I'm mad at them and how they're inconsiderate. I don't want to be this way anymore. We go to God and we ask of God. He says there in verse 3 this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. See, there's times that we are asking, but we're not really receiving because we're not really asking the right way. We're asking wrong. You know, something bothers me about a decision that was made in the church, and I have gone to God, so I can't understand it. I've done the right thing. I prayed like James says I'm supposed to do, go to God with it. But then, you know, God doesn't give me an answer, so now I'm going to go to the church, and I'm going to wrangle with the church about it. Listen, last thing right here is wisdom in prayer has his will be done written all over it. When you do the right thing, going to God to receive an answer, but the reason you didn't get it is because you prayed amiss. It was you prayed wrongly. You're praying for your own desire and pleasure that would be used to wrangle and to fight with others, not willing to yield. You know this, but it's good to hear it again. It's good for me to hear it again, too. Prayer is not to get your will done. It's to get his will done. The purpose of prayer is not to try to get God to do what we want. It is actually a means by which we align ourselves to his priorities. You know, part of the point of prayer is to remind ourselves of what God wants. Well, listen, when we don't receive, then his will was done. When we don't receive, then understand his will was done. Remember, Jesus told his disciples and us in our daily prayer, the prayer that he wants us to pray, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. We're to pray for his will to be done. But for many of James' readers, prayer seems to have been a means to bring God into their plans, of using him to further their own purposes, pleasures, or maybe selfish ambition. Little wonder that they did not receive things when they prayed. Rico Tice, a British pastor and evangelist, said this, and I quote, We turn God into a divine waiter. He's there to deliver our daydreams to us. We touch base with him on Sunday. We put our order in via prayer. We might give a decent tip in the collection plate, but God is essentially there to give us what we feel we need, and we get furious with him if he does not deliver. So the solution to my tongue and its untamable nature is to move to, to my conduct, to have wise conduct. For if I am wise in my conduct, then my tongue will be controlled. My tongue will follow. When I'm meek and humble in conduct, my tongue will be under control. Confusion is eliminated when my walk, which is my conduct, is in line with my talk, which is my tongue. If there's a fight for me to pick, I won't go there. Yes, there are things worth fighting for, but we've got to be wise in determining that. But as we leave this 